What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Ballantin here on the half of the podcast. Dude, these playoff games are getting crazier and crazier. And sadly, injuries are starting to stack up. Yeah, especially in that um, that Phoenix series with Devin going down with that hamstring injury. He was already dealing with a hamstring injury uh, earlier this year. And I believe it was in his left hamstring. And now he's got an injury with his right hamstring. So that's going to be an interesting scenario for Phoenix going into game three and game four on the road with that series type one, one. And then you got Lucas return potentially coming in game three for Dallas. I know that's something that we'll get into, but these series are going to be definitely shifted by these injuries and the players availability associated with that. So we got a lot to get to Kev. We got like five or six topics ready to go, ready to get to it. Oh yeah. So first things first, um, Typically, what we do is mostly focus on like the NBA playoffs, but we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to focus on some NFL content, and we're going to talk about the Debo Samuel trade rumors that have just really come out of nowhere. So Debo Samuel has requested a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. He's not happy about his situation there any longer. We'll dive into that. That's, that's going to be a fun topic because we're kind of kind of in bear with NFL content lately, so that'll definitely be fun. After that, we're going to go straight into the NBA playoffs. Uh, we'll talk about Devin Booker and his hamstring injury and how it's going to affect Phoenix moving forward. He's already been ruled out for games three and four. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that impacts Phoenix. After that, we'll talk about the Mavericks. Luka's return is up in the air because now he's been ruled questionable for game three. So we could see Luka return for Dallas. After that, we'll talk about the series between the Grizzlies and the T-Wolves. Grizzlies just absolutely smacked the shit out of the Timberwolves in game two. So that series is tied 1-1. We'll talk about which team we have more faith in in that series moving forward. After that, we'll talk about Ben Simmons' return because Ben, by the looks of it, is going to be playing in this series against the Celtics for the Nets. Um, He's been ruled out for game two, so that's not going to happen. But games three and four is probably the ones to be looking at. Uh, We'll talk about his impact uh, if he does return or the Nets later in this series against the Celtics. And then after that, we'll round out the episode with Brandon Ingram, who has been absolutely cooking for the Pelicans in this playoff series against the Suns, which currently stands at 1-1. And we'll talk about just the impact that Brandon Ingram has had and whether or not that the Lakers have any regrets about trading Brandon Ingram for Anthony Davis a couple seasons ago. So that'll definitely be a focus of contention We'll be getting to that segment. So without further ado, let's dive into our first segment, and that is going to be Debo Samuel. So Debo Samuel is one of the hottest commodities on the trade market right now after he declared that he wants to get out of San Francisco. He's not happy about his situation with the 49ers. I imagine it has something to do with his contract and also maybe his role and responsibility as a wide receiver, because I know in San Francisco, primarily, they use him as a wide receiver and a running back. So they use him as a hybrid um, in that regard. So with the look of Debo at this current moment in time, it could be a real possibility that he could be out the door in San Francisco very soon. But it's all kind of dependent on whether or not the San Francisco wants to pull a trigger on a possible Debo Samuel trade. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Debo Samuel trade rumors circulating a freaking firestorm right now. Where do you think that Debo is going to go if he gets traded? 
to be completely honest, there is a multitude of teams that are just really, really interested because of how talented and how diverse his services will be. As Kyle alluded to with him being a running back slash receiver, obviously more focalized in the receiving game. And he also does a little bit of special teams as well. Um, There are three teams that are big rumored to have interest. That is the New York Jets, the Philadelphia Eagles, and there were some rumors that the Colts were going to offer some sort of package to see if they could swing and sway San Francisco to send them on over. I would say that the Colts are probably the least favorite since we don't have a lot of assets this coming draft. We don't really have a lot of big-name players to really go out there and trade in terms of to make that impact a little bit, or excuse me, to make that trade a little bit more fair. Of course, at the end of the day, we don't even have any receivers in our locker room that are worth trading aside from Michael Pittman. But that doesn't equal the magnitude. So that would have to be a lot of draft capital for us. And I just don't see that as an option, knowing how Ballard is with his picks and knowing how stingy he was and reluctant he was to trade for Carson. And that ended up, you know, just not going the way that it did. Anyway, uh, Philadelphia seems a little bit more to be uh, logical just because they are a little bit more of a win now team. They have an opportunity to win the division next year. They have an opportunity to provide a little bit more of an impact in the NFC East, as opposed to the Jets. They do have to compete with the Dolphins and the Patriots and the Bills. And we all know that that's not exactly a team you want to go to with a second-year quarterback that doesn't really know what's going on. They haven't improved the roster this offseason thanks to free agency, but I don't know if Debo's going to really want to go there. Uh, But then again, I've been proven wrong a multitude of times in that regard just because, let's be honest, Kyle and I have talked about several times, these athletes don't care about winning anymore. They want to chase the bag. And according to rumors and reports, because of the wide receiver market being absolutely exploded this offseason with the Christian Kirk deal, the Devontae Adams deal, and so many others, he is looking to get a massive payday and a lot of guaranteed money. And I just don't know if the Eagles are going to have that much capital to be able to give up along with picks and other things that are going to be required for San Francisco to pull the trigger. So uh, if I had to make an educated guess, I want to say Philadelphia because I think he would fit great there, but I would see the Jets possibly going out there because they were tied to some rumors with DK Metcalf. They were tied to some rumors with AJ Brown. Now another dynamic receiver supposedly on the market. So why not throw the book at him and give him the money that he wants and that I believe he deserves. It's just a matter of uh, is Debo going to be okay with dealing with that New York media scrutiny if they start to lose. So we'll see what happens, but overall the trade, is going to more than likely happen. I don't want to say immediately, but it's. I, I would assume it's going to happen relatively soon. But I would say the New York Jets are probably the favorite for me. Yeah, but it's kind of weird for me just because like the way that I see it possibly playing out is I still see a scenario where he actually gets traded within the NFC. If I had to focus on one team specifically, I think it would be the Packers. The Packers need a wide receiver, and I think that they would have to give up a lot of trade capital to get Debo Samuel. But I, I imagine that the Packers are definitely going to be calling San Francisco to inquire about his services. It's just really kind of dependent on the draft capital since they don't really have a lot of wide receivers to work with outside of Alan Lazard at this current moment in time. So that's one team that I would focus on in the NFC. Now in the AFC, I'm in full agreement with you. I think the Jets are definitely a possibility for him to land if he were to go to an AFC team, simply just because, I mean, if you imagine a scenario where Debo Samuel is playing alongside Corey Davis, that that one-two combo between Corey and Debo, I think it would be, electric for the Jets. Now, it's really kind of dependent on how well Zach Wilson would play this upcoming season, but you bring in some veteran presence with Debo Samuel, I think it would definitely improve their wide receiver core to a pretty extensive level, and I think it would help them compete in the AFC East than they currently are right now with the roster that they have fielded, just because 
And the AFC East is pretty stacked from top to bottom. You have the Bills, you have the Patriots. The Patriots did a lot of retooling in their wide receiver core this offseason with bringing in Devontae Parker. You had the Dolphins retool their wide receiver core with bringing in Tyreek Hill. And I think when you look at the Jets, they need to make some sort of move to bring their wide receiver core up to competition with the rest of the division. So I think the Jets are definitely a possibility for him to go if he actually gets traded. It's just really dependent on whether or not that San Francisco is willing to trade him at this current moment in time. And I'm in like, just because the rumor is out there or just because that Devo wants to get traded, it doesn't mean that San Francisco will. So maybe there's a scenario where Devo may have to work this out with the coaching staff with Kyle Shanahan, and maybe just they try to fix his role in San Fran, because from what I've heard so far is that he's not happy with the role that he has in San Francisco at this current moment in time, because they use him as a running back in multiple packages. And I thought that was actually a component to his game that would actually be a positive for him because it shows that he's versatile. It shows that he can extend his overall skill set far beyond what he has just with as a regular wide receiver. But I think he wants to revert to just a more traditional wide receiver. And if that's the case, maybe San Francisco would ship him off simply just because he doesn't want to adapt to the system that they have in place. So it's kind of interesting to see how this will all play out. But if I really had to pick two teams off the top of my head, in the NFC it would be the Packers, and in the AFC it would be the Jets. So I do agree with you uh, in that team, Kevin. But overall, it would be very interesting to see how this whole this whole Debo Samuel situation plays out. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually gets traded on the NFL draft, like whenever the uh, the draft takes place, which I think is... In Eight days? So, yeah, so could definitely see that, that trade possibly take place on uh, first day in the draft or possibly in days two or three. So very interesting to see how this plays out. But see Debo Samuel on the move definitely raises a lot of uh, eyebrows as far as I'm concerned. Hey, man, all I know is this NFL offseason has been kind of crazy with a lot of superstars being moved, rumors of them being moved, people being cut, people being traded. It's just, it's been kind of nuts. And the fact that now Debo has now inserted himself into this category as well, just kind of, again, to me, it kind of drives me nuts. And Kyle and I were talking about this earlier today when we were just planning out the agenda. I think it's getting out of hand, man. A lot of these athletes nowadays are just just not happy forcing they were forcing their way out of uh, certain situations. They don't want to be a part of a team that's not willing to compensate them for what they believe they're worth. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Debo is not worth the money or anything of that nature, but for players like this to just basically hold the team hostage and say, I'm not going to play for you. I want money. You don't give me money. I'm not reporting trade me. Like that is absolutely ridiculous to me because this team gave you an opportunity along with, uh, what, 31 other teams that would have given you one? This team utilizes you. This team made you into who you are. They, 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 they molded you into the player that you are today. And that isn't thanks to Kyle Shanahan's system. And now you're going to sit here and, and, and basically throw a tantrum until you get your way. What happens if you would have went to the Jets? What happens if you were drafted by the Bears? You may not have gotten the shine that you deserve. You may not have gotten the opportunities in playing time that you receive right now. So for you to just basically look at this team and give them, the, you know, give them a nice flip of the bird and just say, you know what, I'm not going to do anything I want out. To me, that's just disrespectful. Call me old-fashioned. Call me somebody that's not with the times. I just don't think athletes should have this much power over an organization. I know the organization is paying them for their service to play the sport that they love. But for you to just be a diva about it and just request a trade when they don't meet the mark, I mean, you're due for an extension, yes, but that doesn't mean you 
quit on your team. That's essentially what it is to me. And I just, I don't like the way that it looks. James Harden did it. Obviously, it's all over the NFL. It's all over the NBA. It's this to me, it's this generation of players not getting what they want and basically kicking and stomping until they get what they are asking for. And I just personally hate it. That's just my personal opinions on it. God, Kev, you sound so old right now. I, I know you're an old head when it comes to that regard. No, I fully understand what you're saying, though. But I think it's really, I think a part of it is kind of just the situation that Debo's in. I don't think that this is solely based on his contract. Now, I think that's definitely a component of it. I think it may just be a situation where he just doesn't like his role in San Francisco, where he just wants to be a prototypical wide receiver, where he's just used in the passing game and not specifically in the run game the way that San Francisco utilizes him. So maybe there's a situation where, you know, Debo and Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff, they just have a sit-down conversation. It's like, look, you know, if you're unhappy about this situation, you know, we'll try to fix it. But I have to say this. If this got leaked out to the media and with the way that it just leaked so quickly, that tends to tell me that more than likely they may have already had that conversation and there's probably a disagreement between both parties and that Debo just wants to get out of that situation in San Francisco, which to be quite honest with you, I don't really see as like a bad place to play for because I mean, that's what I'm saying. They were in the NFC championship game last year and damn near went to the Super Bowl. But if Debo thinks that essentially the relationship is burned or that the bridge is burned, maybe he could take his talent somewhere else. But I tell you what, I, I don't know what the market is going to yield as far as what the return for San Francisco is going to be. Because I mean, when you think of Debo Samuel's worth as far as trade capital is concerned, like how do you see it? Like, do you see like just draft picks being traded or do you see players getting traded or a little bit of both? I think, I think it's going to be, it's dependent upon which organization we're talking about. Like I alluded to in my point, when you first asked me the question, the Eagles don't necessarily have a lot of money. The Eagles just relieved a lot of that cap space from some of their older players over the last couple of years in that Super Bowl team. So I don't know if they want to put themselves in that financial hole to one player again. Now, the Jets have the capital to do that. I don't know if they have the players, but we all know that they have quite a bit of picks in the, in the coming years in terms of we all know that they're a lottery team, at least this year. Next year, we don't know what's going to happen, but they have first-round picks that they haven't, been, they haven't had to give up. We all know that Philly has given up quite a bit of picks over the last couple of drafts and gained a couple of picks as well because of previous trades. And then you go and you look at Indianapolis, we don't have money. We just signed uh, you know, Stephon Gilmore to a big deal, or not a big deal, but a solid deal. We don't have a lot of draft capital. We also don't have the personnel. So that's going to have to be a package of different things. It really depends on what San Francisco is looking for. They're losing a star in the making. I think they're going to want personnel back and draft picks. They're not going to get a lot of first, if not any first. They're probably going to ask for some mid to level, mid to low gr- gr- English is getting really difficult for me today. We're recording way earlier, so this is just weird. A mid to late draft pick as well as player compensation for other teams are going to be required. So it, it just depends on what San Francisco is willing to part with in order to, or should I say San Francisco is willing to accept accept for losing Debo Samuel. It's a different situation for every team. Yeah, because, I mean, with the team that I brought up with the Packers, I don't know if the Packers are going to be willing to give up Alan Lazard in a package for Debo Samuel, but San Francisco could be like, well, we're giving you essentially one of the best wide receivers in the game, and we're not going to get anything back as far as players are concerned. 
I think San Francisco may feel a little bit slighted by that. So maybe they want a player in return, but it depends on what I think these teams are willing to give up as far as draft capital is concerned. If they give up a first or a second, and then maybe like a later pick, maybe like a fifth or a sixth, you know, maybe those teams make that move. But I mean, for Debo Samuel, I mean, think about it like this, Kev. He's 26 years old. He's in the prime. I know he's in the prime of his career. Yeah. So I think if you're San Francisco, I think at the bare minimum, you're looking for at least a second and probably a fifth or a sixth. You also got to remember, he hasn't played a full season in the league. Healthy. This is the first year he's popped off. I am not giving my arm and my shoulder for a guy that had one super good year with the potential, but he's also had an injury bug a multitude of times. That's another reason why I stand by. This has to be a mid to late draft pick, a third to a seventh round draft pick, and obviously multitude of picks. But what I'm saying is I just don't truly believe that for whatever reason, a team is going to go, you know what, I'm going to give you a first-round pick this year, a second-round pick next year, and players. For someone that is a one-and-done a, a one prove-it year, you know what I'm saying? I don't really I, necessarily see somebody doing that. It's kind of funny because I could totally see him getting traded for like a third and a fifth. Or a fourth I agree. and a fifth. That's like, what Julio got that, but Julio was also way later in his career and also injury. Well, think of Amari. Amari's like production was pretty stable. And granted, he had some maybe like a down year here and there. But overall, I mean, Amari's production for Dallas was pretty solid throughout his tenure there. And I think he, and got, he got a fifth. For, yeah, like it was, but they wanted to trade for somebody else for like a third. So it's it's really weird how these teams will evaluate trade picks as far as like giving them up in a trade. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like I could see him getting traded for like just one first round pick and that's it. But more than likely, I think what will happen is probably he'll get traded for like a fifth or like a sixth. Yeah, like, I like agree. Say, and maybe, like and maybe said, a like, player is doing there. Like you said, like a mid to late draft pick, maybe two mid to late draft picks. But, you know, that's if San Francisco's willing to trade him. And we haven't really heard from San Francisco's side of things yet. We've only really heard from Debo uh, just because that Debo told a bunch of ESPN reporters that uh, he wants to get out of San Fran. So, you know, and that's the thing is like, now, when you hear these trade rumors come out, it's usually always from the player themselves. You never really hear the other side of the story, which is the team. Or nowadays, it's stupid. I'm going to remove so-and-so from my Twitter bio or my Instagram bio. Gonna, Again, Or I'm going to get rid of all my so pictures. I'm going to get rid of all my pictures on Instagram related to the team. Again, I might sound old. I, th- I think that's so stupid. Bro. I, mean, I mean, Kyler did the same thing with the Cardinals. He got rid of all of his Cardinals. But he, I mean, he got rid of everything. But the, This is like social media. Like, the grand scheme of things, if that's Who a cares? cryptic, if it's a cryptic way of doing it, like, dude, like, you're an adult, like, really, I'm just like, it's a little childish, don't you think? Oh, I get rid of my freaking pictures on Instagram. That's really gonna send shockwaves. Yeah, it's, but you know, listen, had a little bit of NFL content, but we needed that just because it is kind of dry out there right now. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'm happy it's happening. It's just the way that it's happening. It's what gets me. Well, I mean, we got the draft in a week, so that'll be uh, be very. Interesting It'll heat to see. up. That'll be very interesting to see. But um, overall, you know, April get the draft for the NFL, so that'll definitely be something uh, to keep an eye on moving forward. But with that said, let's transition fully into the NBA. You know, we're in the oh yeah the thick of things in the first round of these playoff series. Uh, got a lot of topics to get to. Uh, the first one we're going to get to is Devin Booker, and Devin Booker despite the fact that he got off to a very good start in game two, he suffered a hamstring injury, which sidelined 
which sidelined him the entire second half. And he's already been ruled out for games three and four in the series where the Suns are going up against the Pelicans. And that series currently stands at 1-1 apiece after the Pelicans won a pretty solid road game in game two. Really, Brandon Ingram was the one that led the way for the Pelicans in that win in game two for them. Now, we're going to kick it to Devin Booker because he's really the focal piece of what we're trying to get to. So, Kevin, I'll kick this one to you. With Devin Booker out for games three and four for the Suns, how much trouble do you think the Suns are in now that Devin Booker is going to be out for the foreseeable future? This this proceeds to be a, a big concern for me. This is something that I look at and I say, okay, well, they did fine without Chris Paul, but Chris Paul wasn't their leading scorer. Chris Paul wasn't the guy that was going out there and dropping 26 and a half points per game all season long. He wasn't an MVP candidate for as long as Devin Booker was. He didn't have the second half resurgence of the season that Devin Booker has. He's also not the shooter that Devin Booker is and the elite scorer. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying Phoenix needs to figure something out. And I don't know if that's going to mean advanced minutes or a higher minute load for uh, Cam Johnson. I don't know if that means campaign's going to play a little bit more. It, it, somebody's got to step up. And I know that Chris Paul is already playing 30-plus minutes a game. I know that he's already averaging – basically a double-double in this series, so he's doing everything he can. I don't know how much more he can possibly give at his age without not necessarily keeling over, but you know, when, we all know that Chris Paul is also injury-ridden and injury-prone as well, so we don't necessarily want... We don't really want him to get overloaded this quickly, especially this early on in a series, but if you don't, I mean, it is the playoffs. You're three games away from elimination. You're also three games away from winning and moving on to the next series. But with the emergence of Brandon Ingram popping off the way that he did, C.J. McCollum has played relatively well, including the play in tournament games. So I would say a team like this, an eight-seeded team, they need something like this to happen. They don't wish for an injury to happen, but when one of their stars go down and they're coming off of a win in Phoenix, they're coming home to New Orleans. This is a big pivotal game three. This is where the momentum could potentially shift. And with Devin out for at least the next two games at a minimum, that could easily mean that this series completely shifts, and by the time they come back to Phoenix, it's 3-1. And I'm not saying that you know, New Orleans is going to for sure win, but you're missing arguably your best player on the entire team, your leading scorer, and your best playmaker. Not best playmaker, your best shooter. In the middle of the playoffs, Brandon Ingram is now starting to get it going. CJ McCollum is playing well. A lot of this team, this New Orleans team coached by Willie Green, which Kyle had alluded to, this is a very well-coached team for the situation that they were put in just a month ago to be sitting at the 11th or 10th seed to now being you know, tied 1-1 with the defending Western Conference champions. Says a lot about the poise and characteristic of this team, or the charisma of this team, should I say. Excuse me. So I would say that Devin Booker being out is huge. I don't necessarily know if Phoenix is going to lose the series. I'm not going to go that far. But I will say that I expect this series to come back to Phoenix tied 2-2. And Devin is going to have to, you know, we're going to have to see what happens with those hamstrings, man, because just like Luca, those lower leg injuries can provide quite a bit of difficulty through the longevity of this postseason. So I, I, I definitely have this, uh, wow, breaking news, Villanova's Jay Wright to retire. It's official. Wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I think that the, the impact of Devin Booker is going to be hugely missed for this series for sure. Yeah, I mean, when I look at what happened with Phoenix in game two, Devin was on fire in that first half. He dropped 31 in the first half. And then you could totally tell that the impact that he brought, it really showcased in that second half when he was not on the court because 
just the overall chemistry, it just seemed so disrupted. I mean, in the third quarter specifically, the Suns just couldn't get into any sort of rhythm whatsoever. And that was because of Devin's absence. And I think going into games three and four, there, he's definitely going to be missed. To what extent, we're going to find out. But I'll tell you this. If I'm New Orleans, dude, there's blood in the water. And they got to take advantage of it. Because, Kevin, when I was watching that game um, in game two, Brandon Ingram took off in that second half. And that was despite the fact that he was dealing with some injury issues as well. He tweaked his ankle in the third quarter. And despite the fact that he was dealing with it, he was still knocking down shots left and right. And if you're Phoenix and you see somebody like that, that's popping off with essentially one of your aces out for out for games three and four, that's definitely going to raise some red flags. And from what I saw from Phoenix in game two, after Devin went out, I don't know if, the personnel that they have is going to be able to match what the Pelicans have for both of those games. Now I could definitely see Phoenix maybe splitting the games in new Orleans. I don't know if they'll win games three, if they'll win game three or game four specifically, but I think that they'll win one of them. And I think it's just going to, because I think Chris Paul is going to understand, look, he's got to be able to knock down shots better. Cause in game two, he did not show up. He struggled from the field. When I look at some other players uh, that had to fill in, uh, for Devin's absence. I mean, Landry Shamit had to get some time. I think this is the first time that I've seen Landry Shamit on the court for the Suns in quite some time. So he's definitely going to get some burn. I wouldn't be surprised if Cameron Johnson and Cameron Payne get more burn. And they have to be better because, you know, you're replacing one of the most underrated players in the NBA with Devin Booker. One of the, I mean, Kevin, he's a sharpshooter. The guy can just knock down shots at will. So it's going to have to be a group effort. From Phoenix in this one. So expect guys like Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, even Chris Paul to be able to step up and try to fill that void as best as possible until Devin gets back. But as far as the series is concerned, I thought this was going to be a cakewalk for Phoenix, but the Pelicans are showing me, despite the fact that they're a young team, they don't care. They're giving it everything that they have. They're giving the Suns a legitimate run, which I didn't really expect. I thought the series would be, would be over in five games. But with the fact that Brandon Ingram's playing well, CJ McCollum is knocking down shots, and a lot of these younger players like Jackson Hayes and Alvarado, like specifically, these guys are not scared of the moment, and they're living up to the expectations that are placed upon them in this moment in time. So, very interesting series. A lot more compelling than I originally gave it credit, but really this, this Devin Booker injury, it definitely throws a monkey wrench for what the Suns have at this current moment, this current moment in time. And there's no guarantee that the Suns are going to win this series now. I had that a couple days ago. With Dev out for games three and four. Dude, they're in some trouble. I don't know if they're in significant trouble, but they're definitely in some trouble. That's just how I see it. No, for sure. Uh, Also, guys, the Celtics and Brooklyn game is going on live right now. Kyrie Irving left the game, I believe, from what I can see, at cramps. He's now back on the sideline with some Gatorade and some, I think, some bananas. But uh, Kyrie Irving's sitting out on the sideline, and he looks pretty pissed off. So uh, something to monitor for the rest of this game as it goes on. We are just coming up to the tail end of the first quarter. Brooklyn is up 27-16. It's not bad. Brooklyn's up? No, not at all. Yeah, Brooklyn's up, yeah. Seth is hitting a couple of shots, and I think Bruce Brown is like 4-4, 5-5 12 points. Hell of a start to the first quarter. Hell of a start. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, Jay Wright, though. It's official. 
It's official. Wow. Oh, oh no, Villanova, no. Kev, I think you got to explain what your your personal feelings towards Jay Wright are. Listen, one of the best collegiate coaches in the country, no doubt. Two time national champion. Obviously, last year in the Final Four. It's it's not a hatred thing. It's I'm a North Carolina fan. Villanova beat us in 2016. I obviously wanted to face Villanova for a potential rematch, but that obviously just did not happen, and we ended up losing to Kansas anyway. So the point of what I'm trying to get at is, you know, Jay Wright not being on that team, Jay Wright's coaching presence not being available for a lot of the players that are coming back, um, doesn't really bode well. But that also goes to show some of the best coaches in the country are now retiring. Roy did it last year. Krzyzewski did it this year. Jay's doing it this year. It's time to get in these young guys, man. It's time to see what Villanova's got in the coaching staff or who they're willing to come and hire to replace him. But, you know, great career if it is, in fact, true. It's crazy how a lot of NBA rumors were circling about him coming to coach in the league because he was such a dominant collegiate coach. I'm pretty sure he signed an extension about two or three years ago to be one of the higher paid uh, college head coaches, and he hangs it up a little early. Granted, I didn't read the banner as it came down, so I don't know if it's for medical reasons, family reasons, or just straight, you know, like I'm tired. But nevertheless, Jay Wright hangs it up, and at a you know, two-time national champ, man, kudos to his career. It's either that or they, there's a situation brewing in. Villanova with the NCAA, and he's trying to get out the clean slate before things head south. I'm just kidding. But overall, like, I don't know what really the reasons are with him retiring, but if I if I had to just kind of, like, throw a dart into the dark, I would probably say that, Kev, this is going to be an interesting take that I have. I think some of these coaches, I don't think they want their entire life to be solely circulating around basketball. I think I think people reach a certain point in time where like mentally they're checked out from what they're doing. It's just, you know, when do you actually pull the trigger to just say, you know what? I'm done. Like, yeah. And I think maybe Jay Wright finally hit that moment because I mean, I think if I remember correctly, the guy's been coaching Villanova for what decades or he's had his coaching career is like two decades long at this something point. along those lines. Yeah. So, I mean, when you've been in the game that long, over two decades at, at a certain point, it's like, unless like you're like laser focused on your job, you know, eventually you're just going to get to the point where you just get worn down, not only, you know, mentally, but you know, I think it has a physical toll as well, just because you're always focused on you know, flying back and forth to, to different venues across the country. And it takes, you know, it's a commitment, you know, multiple months of the year, if not really, Probably like six or seven, eight months out of the year, you're solely focused on basketball, just like related to your job. You don't get a lot of off time, you know, being sure. a coach of a of a collegiate basketball team. So I don't mind him stepping down. I think it's probably in his best interest to do that, you know, when the guy's been coaching for over 20 years as a head coach. So, I mean, he's had a fantastic career. I mean, he's already in the Hall of Fame to begin with. He just got inducted a couple of years ago. Yep. So, you know, kudos to him. Uh, I hope he enjoys retirement. I don't know if he'll get the itch to come back, you know, because he's only 60 years old. So he's not relatively like that old as a coach. Now, granted, he's not that young anymore, but he's not like to the point like where he's like 70, 75. And he's he's like, not like he's not like Krzyzewski old. Or he's not like Roy Williams. So it's like, true, you know, so we'll definitely keep an eye on that. But I mean, overall, a great career as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, I, I know that one national championship still stings. It was against Always US. will. So Always will. But that was a, uh, I'll tell you what, the circumstances of that final play that they ran with uh, Jenkins hitting that game winner in that national championship, I mean, it was executed perfectly. So, 
did a good job setting up that play. But um, overall, it's, you know, a great career. and Definitely needed to mention that since it's breaking while we were recording. So, yeah, literally. But um, with that said, we'll keep it within the NBA. And we get to talk about Kevin's team a little bit. So uh, the Mavericks are looking at a situation where they're tied with the Utah Jazz at 1-1 after basically what I would consider a heroic performance from Jalen Brunson in game two, where he dropped 41 points. I did not expect him to drop 41 points. I don't think anybody expected that. No, but Jalen put the team on his back and got Dallas, a huge game two win over the jazz series. Currently the series currently stands at one, one apiece going back to Utah for game three. And then it really is all dependent on whether or not that Luke is going to play for the Mavs in game three at this current moment in time. He's listed as questionable. So don't really know whether or not that he's going to play in game three. It's really kind of a toss up at this current moment in time, but really all eyes are set on Lucas return and it could take place in game three. So this will definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you with Luca potentially returning for the Mavs in game three, just what sort of impact do you think he's going to bring for Dallas in the series moving forward? I mean, I'm concerned as a fan and just, you know, as an overall human being, because we all know what calf strains can do. We all know how they can linger. We all know how annoying they can be. And I mean, like, again, I always bring the example. KD had a calf strain in the 2019 finals. He had it in the playoffs. He was out relatively that entire postseason. And he still ended up tearing his Achilles. Now, again, I don't know the situation or the medical condition that KD technically was in. I don't know what Luca's actual condition is because we can all know. They, they graded them the same thing. They were both calf strains. One ended up being a career-altering injury. Thankfully, KD recovered. Luka Doncic is sitting here at 23 years old in the first round, and his team is currently tied going into the opponent's home court. If I'm Dallas, personally, I'm giving him one more game. I'm making sure that leg is 100% as, as good as it can be for the situation that it is. Because we all know that if he does come back in game three or game four, it is 100% not, not going to be fully recovered, at least in my opinion. He's still not practicing at a clip to where he is at full strength or full speed. But again, Dallas is making sure that he is limited in practice. So I'm kind of just looking at this overall from a Maverick standpoint of if we keep him out one game, what's the worst that happens? We're down two to one or we're up two to one. It's not like game four if we lose this one. Like, you know, like if he doesn't play in this one, we could go down 3-1. Granted, you don't want to go down in a playoff series at all, especially without your best player. But if I'm Dallas and I'm looking at the team and I'm looking at how we performed in that last game and the resiliency and how Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleba led the team, and we're still waiting for, you know, obviously Dorian Finney-Smith to have one of those big games. We're still waiting on Spencer Dinwiddie to have one of those pop-off games that we know he can have. Dwight Powell has played relatively well uh, towards the end of the season. Um, we know we can do it. We're waiting on you know Reggie Bullock to have a big game too. Everybody is doing their part, and we just needed that one person to push us over the edge and really carry us through it. I really do believe that it's possible for us to take another game in Utah without rushing Luka's longevity. Because let's just be frank, if he ends up tweaking it again in this game and he's out for the remainder of the series or remainder of the playoffs – What's that going to do for us? What's that going to do for Luca's career? So I'm just being cautious. I really want the doctors to be like, he's 100% okay as much as he can. I know that's what they said about KD, but personally, I want Luca to, 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 to make it the rest of the way. I don't want them to rush him back. So I'm just a little bit nervous as to how early it is they're going to bring him back. Now, if he does come back in this series and he's healthy enough to where that calf issue isn't really something that lingers and it's really debilitating for him 
do you think it has a profound impact on as far as Dallas winning the series? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, obviously, you know, it's Luca is one of the most ball dominant players in the league. Luca is one of the most electrifying players in the league that can also get everybody else involved. He can also rebound the basketball. So when you just look at a player that can do all three phases and has improved on the defensive end, I will give him some kind of credit. Uh, even if he's not 100% and he just drives to the basket, the thought of Luka being at the paint, or should I say in the paint, someone's going to be open because they're going to collapse. If Luka does his isolation and, you know, obviously somebody's open, he's going to try to find them, and he won't have to rely as much offensively without putting that much strain. My concern is on the defensive end, how much effort is he going to be able to put on that leg? How much weight is he going to be able to put in the post or, you know, pushing the ball in transition? So if Luka plays and he's good to go, his impact is immediately puts us in favor to win. So that is a good thing. Again, it's just a matter of how long is he going to be able to go and is he going to be on a minute restriction? Well, I think if Dallas is smart, I think they put him on a minutes restriction at first. Hell, they may even have him come off the bench. Very similar to what the Warriors Steph did with Curry. Steph when they brought him back in the fold for game once. Because Steph missed a month with his foot issue. Luka's really been only dealt, he's really only dealing with this injury for what, a week now? So a week can change, yeah. So this is still relatively fresh for Luca. Overall, though, this is a very precarious situation for Dallas, like Kevin mentioned, because I think what Kevin tried to outline is more of like you have to look at this from Luca's like total career perspective. If I'm Dallas, I'm looking at this as like in the here and the now. And I think if they're not confident that he's gonna be ready to go, I think there's a certain threshold where they'll see his progress. If he's like 85%, I think that's the threshold where they may play him. If he's not there yet, if he's not where he needs to be in, in pregame warmups, they may just sideline him for game three. But let's say he c- comes back for game three. How viable is he going to be? I think depending on how Dallas uses him, as far as what Jason Kidd sets up for him, I could definitely see him being a solid impact for Dallas in game three the point where they win against Utah on the road in game three. I'm not really sold on that yet, just because I think Utah, they had an opportunity to go up 2-0 in the series. Uh, in game two, they let that one slip. So I think that if I had to guess just off the top of my head, I would favor Utah in game three. Does that mean that Dallas just scrubs game three and will just bring back Luka for game four? Maybe. But I think if there's a real shot that Luka can play and he's not too hindered by this calf issue, I think he's going to play. That's kind of how I see it. And I think when you look at this series in its totality, if Luka returns and this calf issue isn't bothering him significantly, I think it tilts the scales in favor of Dallas moving forward. This is a series where I think it potentially goes seven games simply just because these teams are really evenly matched the way that I see it. Both teams have shown the ability um, to put up points in significant uh, bunches. Really, I was just surprised that Jalen put up 41 points in that Game 2 performance for Dallas. I was not expecting that, but if Jalen can produce in any sort of way like that in Game 3, I definitely see that being a positive impact for Dallas, not moving forward just in Game 3, but for the entire series as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole scenario with Luka plays out. But if I just had to put my money on it, if I'm just pushing um, some chips on the table here, I think Luka will play limited minutes in game three. I think he'll definitely get more burn in game four. And I think with him being on the court, I think it it really improves Dallas's chances to win the series, 
potentially in seven games. But that's really kind of where I see this series going. It's going at least six and probably seven just because these teams are so evenly matched. But I'm going to give a slight edge to Dallas because I think Luka is just that big of a difference maker, despite the fact that he's dealing with a lingering calf issue. But we'll see how it plays out. But it's going to be very interesting to see how it all ends up. Yeah, just nervous overall. Um, you know, obviously as a fan, you you want to see your team do well, but you don't want to lose your best player as a sacrifice for that. So just a little, uh, just concerned, but I don't want to dwell on it too much. Yeah. So with that said, we'll transition to our next segment, and that is going to be the focus on the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. So this series currently stands at 1-1 apiece after Memphis just blew the doors off of the Timberwolves in game two. I mean, it was basically like a 30 point beatdown. It was like 124 to 96. Uh, the Grizzlies won that one in relatively easy fashion compared to game one, where let's face it, uh, the Timberwolves showed up and the Grizzlies couldn't adjust to it. And I think that, I think that caught not only the Grizzlies off guard, it caught, I think, everybody off guard because I don't think anybody was expecting that game one result uh, the way that it played out for the T Wolves. The series transitions back to Minneapolis for game three. And with the series at one game apiece, it'll be very interesting to see how this series ends up going, whether it's in the favor of the Timberwolves or in favor of the Grizzlies. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Grizzlies and the T-Wolves standing at 1-1 apiece in this series, which team do you have more faith moving forward in this series? I mean, the Grizzlies woke up. I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that it, it, it's impossible for the Timberwolves to go and, and, you know, go and upset them in the series. I'm not saying that, you know, obviously Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards aren't a, a, a dynamic duo enough for this team to go and provide the upset. But when you look at everything that Memphis has gone through all season, if you look at everything that they have been able to do without their best player in John Morant, who was an MVP candidate for a large portion of the year, they're going to get that together. They're going to figure it out. They're going to find a way to win games, and they're going to win gritty games, and they're going to find a way to just dominate other teams. And on paper, I truly believe that Memphis is a better team. The reason why I'm going to side with Memphis is also because, for whatever reason, since D'Angelo Russell has left Brooklyn, he has been an absolute ghost. He was only on Golden State for a couple of weeks, so I'm not really going to sit here and say he was a stud on Golden State because he got traded to Minnesota relatively quickly. He hasn't really been himself because he's been injury-prone and injury-ridden over the last two seasons. In the last two games, I think he scored a total of like 22 points. He scored 11 points in the first two games. Where is the ice in my veins, D'Lo? Where is the D'Lo that has you know, always sparked the plug and always gotten the crowd involved and always somebody that was uh, you know, just an energy bug or an, energy, an energizer bunny uh, on the bench, somebody that's always been able to entertain and provide a spark? I'm not seeing that. And without that third wheel, without that third person to really come back, John Morant, Desmond Bain, Stephen Adams, uh, just uh, Dil- uh, Derek, is it Dylan Brooks? Yeah, it is Dylan Brooks. I don't really know how uh, Minnesota's going to be able to, to compete. You're putting way too much pressure on a 20, 21-year-old kid in Anthony Edwards that we all know is ready for, but that's a lot for a kid to have to shoulder the weight of a franchise on him in the postseason. We all know that Carl Anthony Towns is going to get his 25 to 30 points a night. With, of course, his double-digit rebounds and his, and his impact on the defensive end. But they're going to need some help from the bench. They're going to need some help from D'Lo. And without that, I think that Memphis is just going to continue to win because I think their team is better. I think that they have been in the postseason before. They have the experience. They know what it's like to, to struggle. They know what it's like to go through adversity. And again, like I said earlier, even without Jaw, 
They were like 21 and two or 21 and three all season long. So they have their MVP caliber player. He led the team in scoring last game. He led both teams in scoring, and that was only at a 23-point uh, game. He had 32 in the first game, and that was in a loss. So John Moran's healthy. This team is going to find a way to turn it around. A blowout win like that at home is a way to kind of just carry it over into the next game or into the rest of the series. I think that Minnesota – excuse me. I think that Memphis carries on and wins this game in about six games. I give, I'm going to give Memphis – oh, my goodness. I'm going to give Minnesota one more game – because I think that Anthony Edwards is that impactful. And I think that him and Carl Anthony Towns will have another big game where they combine for over 60. But if D'Angelo doesn't step up, this is going to be a struggle. And I think that, unfortunately, the young and spark-plugged uh, Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team, who improved all year, will end up falling to the better Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, I mean, the way that I see it is when I look at these two teams and which team I have more faith in, I got to side with the Grizzlies. And it's not just because of what they've done this season. Granted, they were the number two seed in the Western Conference, which is a pretty high mark for a relatively young team. It's just when I look at this team on paper, compared to what the Timberwolves have, I just think that they have more depth. You know, John Morant, like Kevin said, was an MVP candidate throughout most of the season before he had some injury issues in the last quarter of the year. But, I mean, outside of that, you know, you had Desmond Bain to work with. Dylan Brooks, Steven Adams, and you have role players like Kyle Anderson, Zaire Williams, Xavier Tillman, even Brandon Clark. I mean, these guys, despite the fact that they may not be well-known household names, when they get their opportunities to shine, they've been able to step up, not just throughout the regular season, but even in the playoffs. In game two specifically, when you look at the box score for the Grizzlies specifically, like Kevin said, John Morant only had 23 points, but Brandon Clark had 13. Xavier Tillman had 13. Zaire Williams had 13. Then you could look at Desmond Bain. He had 16, and Jaron Jackson Jr. also had 16. So they were able to get contributions from not just Ja, but from a wide-ranging cadre of players. When you look at Minnesota specifically, essentially the way that I see it is their team is largely dominant on two players. Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns. And the reason why I say two and not three is because D'Angelo Russell has not shown me enough that he's somebody that, that Minnesota can rely on for a, for a postseason series. I just haven't seen it yet. I think in game one, I think he only scored 10 points. In game two, he only had 11. And for D'Angelo Russell, who's had some pretty solid moments throughout his NBA career, if he's only putting up those types of point totals in a relatively competitive playoff series. I can't rely on that. I can rely on Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns simply just because they are getting more burned. They're getting more playing time. But Anthony Edwards, like Kevin said, is relatively young still. He's in his early 20s. Carl Anthony Towns is one of the veterans on this team. And Carl Anthony Towns is not even that old to begin with. He's still in his 20s. Overall, when you have a team that's really dependent on two players to really kind of carry the weight for this team I can't rely on that I just think that the Grizzlies they have a better roster from top to bottom they have a more deep roster and despite the fact that they dropped game one I'm gonna side with them and I think when it comes down to it John Morant is the difference maker John Morant despite the fact that he's young has shown me that his dynamic athletic ability is a huge facet to his game 
And not only that, he's able to knock down shots consistently. And he's able to essentially set up his role players and to set up the rest of his teammates to be able to succeed. Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns with the Timberwolves, they can do that. I just don't think that they, they can do it to the extent that John Morant can. I think overall, John Morant is the difference maker in this series. And I think overall, you know, when the series comes to an end, I think the Grizzlies will win this series outright. I don't know if it's going to be um, in five games. I, I will probably see it in six or maybe even seven, depending on how competitive Minnesota is. But I just have more faith in, in the Grizzlies moving forward. It would be a real shock to me if the Timberwolves upset the Grizzlies. I think it would shock the entire NBA world if that happened. But overall, I have too much faith in John Morant, and I don't think that he's going to let me down uh, in this sense. So I'm siding with the Grizzlies, and I see them getting this series, uh, despite the fact that it's 1-1 at this current moment in time. Yeah, no, all good points, absolutely. Um, and as you already know, this is going to there's going to be a good series. I don't really think there's any bad series this postseason aside from potentially the Hawks and Heat. And again, we're not even going to cover that just because the, of how the, blatantly the, the favoring Sixers, the, the Sixers and the Toronto series. It looks pretty dead at this point just because it feels yeah. like head and shoulders better than what Toronto's had. But Toronto's also had those injuries too. Yeah. Like, but, but still, even with those players that were playing in game one, it, it didn't really make a difference. Philly's just that much better. Philly's taking advantage of it though. So. I mean, hell, I mean, I think, what, Tyrese Maxey, he dropped, like, damn near 40 points in game one. Yeah. And, you know, when you're getting that type of production from from Tyrese, it's tough to combat against, bro, especially when you're dealing with injuries with your own team Facts. in uh, regards to Toronto. So it could be definitely interesting to see how, um, if Toronto has any sort of response when this series goes back to Toronto, but skeptical. But uh, with that said, we'll transition to our second-to-last topic, and that is going to be Ben Simmons. So, as of right now, Ben Simmons is not playing in Game 2 uh, for the Nets. And despite that, there have been rumors circulating that he could potentially be back for the Nets in either Game 3 or Game 4, or maybe just essentially like a middle-of-the-pack game in a possibly seven-game series for the Nets. So, it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole scenario plays out. He's been recovering from a back issue that has been lingering for months now. Part of it may be the fact that he wasn't up to NBA speed as far as his conditioning goes. But I do think that this back injury has been a point of contention for him the last couple of months or so. It will be interesting to see um, if Ben does come back in this series. So, Kevin, let me kick this one to you. If Ben Simmons comes back for the Nets in either Game 3 or Game 4 for Brooklyn, what sort of impact do you think he'll have for the Nets when they go up against the Celtics later in this series? I think it's going to be tremendous. I don't necessarily think Ben is going to have that much of a contribution on the offensive side. I mean, we already know that he's not necessarily a scorer like that. We know that he is a little bit more of a facilitator. So if anything, he'll just contribute to maybe kicking it out, penetrating in the paint. We all know that he's a 6'10 frame that can handle like a 6'3 guard. But I think that it's going to be absolutely detrimental to put him on the defensive side and guard Jason Tatum. We all know that Kevin Durant is Jason Tatum for the majority of this series, if it's not Bruce Brown, and again, the series just started. But if you take all of that pressure off of KD on the defensive side and you just have him strictly focus on getting those buckets offensively, he can compete with Kyrie in terms of who's going to score more because we all know that's probably what happens on the majority of nights of, yo, I'm going to score 30, you got to score 40. Just because of just how competitive they are on the offensive side, I think that Ben Simmons' defensive presence 
will just make this team that much better because other people will feed off of those turnovers. They'll be able to get out in transition and create those buckets. And of course, at the end of the day, if Ben is out there in transition, we all know that he can finish at the rim. It's just a matter of will he be able to hit free throws? That's the biggest part of Ben's game that's missing. We all know that if Ben is wide open, Ben isn't going to shoot the ball. So again, we don't know necessarily what's been happening. We do. We did hear rumors that he was training and shooting with Kyle Korver in practice just a couple of weeks back. So I don't know how much how how much of that is actually ramped up in his rehabilitation process from this back injury. But overall, I would say that Ben Simmons immediately puts Brooklyn in the driver's seat. If they're able to hold on tonight, in which they still are, it's 45-37 with about six and a half minutes to go. If Brooklyn can capitalize and take this win, I think inserting Ben Simmons into that lineup or even off the bench just to go out there and guard the best player on the floor, I think makes an immense difference for Brooklyn to go out there and actually take control of the series a lot more aggressively. I mean, Kevin, there's not really much else I can say other than if Ben Simmons comes back, I think his impact is primarily going to be on the defensive side because... As far as I'm concerned, his offensive impact is going to be minimal at best. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy's scared to take layups. We have last year's uh, playoff run with him where there were multiple opportunities where he could have laid it up and decided to kick it out. Like His offensive impact is going to be limited because the guy's probably going to score single-digit point totals. But his defensive impact, I think, is going to be uh, significant. So you know, when, when I see Ben Simmons, I don't know to what extent He's going to get utilized with Brooklyn's overall game plan just because, well, let's face it. He's been out the entire season. He hasn't really played any sort of meaningful basketball since last year's playoff run with the 76ers. And with this back issue that he's been dealing with for months now, I mean, how viable is he going to be? If I had to say that he he would be useful in one way, it would be for his defensive capabilities. I mean, the guy can be able to get rebounds and the guy can be able to push the floor and be able to facilitate on the offensive side of the ball if that's how Brooklyn uses him. But we don't know how Brooklyn's going to use him because he hasn't gotten any burn. We've only seen limited time of him in the gym practicing with Brooklyn. And the way that Brooklyn may utilize him, it could be entirely different than the way that Philly utilized him. So there's a lot up in the air for me at this current moment in time with Ben Simmons. I, I think that Overall, I think he'll have somewhat of an impact with Brooklyn if he starts playing in games three or four for the Nets when this series transitions back to the Barclay Center. But overall, I'm a little bit skeptical about Ben just because I haven't seen the guy play in a year actually on the court in a real NBA game. So I think it will definitely improve just their overall roster. It'll improve their depth. But it's going to be interesting to see what sort of burn that he gets because I imagine he's going to be on some sort of minutes restriction because I don't think that his back is to the point where it's like a hundred percent recovered. And depending on what his conditioning is, I mean, the guy might only play 15, 20 minutes and that might be it. So I think best case scenario is he has a huge profound impact for Brooklyn, but I'm skeptical at this point, but they would need his uh, defensive capabilities because in game one, they gave up a lot of points and that's really been, Brooklyn's Achilles heel the entire year just because they could score at will, but they give up a lot of points in the process. And maybe Ben can help them out in that aspect by limiting the amount of points that they give up to their opposing team. But I'm skeptical, bro. It's tough for me to say that Ben's going to be a huge focal piece for Brooklyn moving forward. Best case scenario, he is. Worst case scenario, it's a minimal impact. 
And I'm kind of leaning towards that minimal impact, but I don't think it will be to the point where he has no impact whatsoever. But I don't think he's going to have a huge impact. That's just how I see it. It's hey, we've we've already established this Brooklyn series is probably going to be one of the better series. It's not as we said last episode. Brooklyn is not a true seventh seed between injuries and obviously the Kyrie situation. This team could have easily been the number one seed in the West in the Eastern Conference if healthy and fully loaded. So this is a juggernaut team at seven, and right now they're going back and forth trading buckets in this second quarter. Um, Brooklyn is up 10 right now, 49-39. to 39. But again, I'm looking at this from the standpoint of if you just insert him to the lineup just to literally say wherever Jason Tatum goes, stay there. If you get a rebound, great. If you get an assist, phenomenal. If you have a layup, for God's sakes, take it. <laughs> and for, please, if this game comes down to free throws, he better not be on the floor. We already know what he's going to do on the free throw line. I think he can take some of that pressure off of Kevin Durant having to go out there and guard somebody, at least guard a significant player like a Jason Tatum who touches the ball every possession when on the floor. And Kevin can focus more on getting to his spots offensively and putting more of an effort into scoring the basketball, to which Boston has actually given him pretty much a solid headache. I've seen him turn the ball over quite a bit of times already. Just in this game, they are really locking in on Kevin Durant. So this is going to be a big piece to take some stress off of KD and help him get on that offensive grind, or at least in that offensive rhythm, he desperately needs as of now. But on the offensive side of the ball, if if he does come back, Fine. I mean, you know, and that's the thing though is like you know when it comes to late game situations, if if he still can't shoot, you can't utilize him. I mean, no, you don't have games to. La- multiple games last year in the playoffs where he couldn't be used in the late game situations that Philly probably wanted to use him in because. They couldn't rely on his shooting. And if you can't rely on one of your, what is supposed to be like a premier player, and they can't shoot, I mean, I don't know what Ben has done the last year or so to improve his shooting stroke. Because, I mean, Kevin, there, there were points in time last year it just wasn't happening. Like, it, it was so bad to the point where, you know, Ben's getting paid all this money. And he's going out there. And Joel's playing on a torn meniscus, by the way. And Ben's putting up measly single-digit point totals. Where Joel's on a torn meniscus, putting up 30, 35, even close to 40 points. So, I think on his offensive side, I don't think it's going to be there. The only use I see for him is on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know how viable he's going to be because I don't know what his conditioning is at. We haven't seen his conditioning yet. I mean, granted, we'll see like little snippets and blurbs from uh, practices that we've seen. But outside of that. Nothing meaningful, nothing physically like challenging yeah. for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, he's got to be able to handle pressure one-on-one or, or in his own defense. You know, I don't know if he's up to that yet. But, you know, eventually nope. they're, they're going we'll to have to kick the tires on him eventually. They brought him there for a reason. But yeah, you know we'll we'll see. But you know I want Ben to succeed. I don't, I don't want that to get lost in trans in lost in uh, translation here. But I'm not confident, bro. I'm not. We'll just I, have to I, listen. I, we'll just have I, to play I, it by ear, I, dude. I, I, I hate being a pessimist, but that's just kind of how I see it. But yeah, I think, it's I, all I good. Think, I think we beat that. I think we beat that segment to death. So let's move on to the last segment. And we're going to talk a little bit about Brandon Ingram. Now, we already talked about the uh, Phoenix Suns side of this battle that's taking place between the one and the eight seed. Now, let's focus on 
the Pelicans, and really the person of note here is Brandon Ingram. Now, Brandon Ingram had a phenomenal game two performance against the Suns, put up 37 points, not down some late critical uh, shots for the Pelicans in the late stretches of game two. And as the series transitions back to New Orleans for game three, a lot of focus is going to be on Brandon Ingram's uh, effective ability to be able to put up points for the Pelicans to possibly get them the advantage in this series moving forward. Now, we do have to mention that Brandon Ingram was a member of the Los Angeles Lakers before he got traded to the Pelicans in exchange for Anthony Davis. And that's kind of the route that we're going to take with this segment here. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you think that the Lakers have any regrets about trading Brandon Ingram to the Pelicans in exchange for AD when that trade took place initially? I mean, I think it depends on what Laker fans you're talking to. I think it really depends on who you're talking to for that matter. The Lakers got a championship in 2020, but some are saying that that doesn't necessarily count because it was the bubble. I'm not one of those people. It was still a hard, grueling season. It was still a season to where whether or not there were fans, you were away from your family, you were locked down in quarantine. It was a mentally challenging aspect. And you still had to execute on the basketball court. So you still had to play and win the games and win the series to go out there and dominate on the court. So they did hoist, obviously, the, the trophy at the end of the season. But since then, or should I say, yeah, since that trade, the Lakers have been relatively irrelevant. Last season, they struggled and they barely made the playoffs and they go out and they lose to Phoenix in what, five? Yeah, it was a shit show. It was, it was relatively quick. This year, they don't even make the play-in. They go for Russell Westbrook. That fails. LeBron James is in his 19th year. Damn near wins the scoring title. Misses the last four or five games of the year. The Lakers have been in shambles since that championship, pretty much. The Lakers have not found a way to go out there and re- regain that championship pedigree or that championship success. When in reality, on the other side, Brandon Ingram has gotten better as time has gone on. He has averaged almost 24 points since he's gotten out there to New Orleans. This year, he took a little bit of a dip, and he was at 23.8. Now he's at 22.2 or 22.7 in terms of points per game. Brandon Ingram has become a prolific scorer that we all know can go out and give you 25 to 30 a night when given the proper opportunity. We know that at 6.8, He can rebound the basketball efficiently. We do know that he can go out and facilitate at certain times as well. He's had a career career high in assists this year at 5.6. So Brandon Ingram is somebody that can do it all. He is somebody that can actually go out there and shoot effectively. He can attack the basket. He can obviously finish at the rim and is a good free throw shooter. But the Lakers were so fascinated with Anthony Davis. I think they lost sight of the future in terms of what this prospect in terms of Brandon Ingram could provide or prove to be. Lonzo Ball is another person. Josh Hart is another person that all went in that package. And we all know that Lonzo Ball ended up panning out very well, aside from him being injured this year. One of the better guarding defensive point guards out there. One of the better rebounding guards. His jump shot significantly improved and was upwards of almost at the 40% clip from three-point percentage and free throw percentage increase. Then you look at Josh Hart, mainly known for his role off the bench somebody that is known for more of his defensive presence, he was actually doing good in New Orleans, and he actually dropped almost 40 to 50 points out there in Portland when given the right opportunity. Again, this just proves the point. I think Los Angeles just got championship heavy, as most teams do, and when you have an opportunity to go get a player like AD, you do it. I don't regret it. I would have done it 10 out of 10 times as well because they won the championship uh, from that decision. But AD's been hurt the last couple of seasons. AD hasn't necessarily been on the court to go out and prove that this trade was worth it outside of the championship. When you really look at it, 
in the last four years since Braun has been there, we've already talked about this. Three out of those four years ended up being failure seasons. Two out of those three seasons that were failure didn't even make the playoffs. I don't know, man. Like I said, it really does depend on who you're asking because this man, Brandon Ingram, just carried an eighth seed. Technically, they were the, what, the 10th seed or the ninth seed going into this? into a victory in the postseason against the number one seeded Phoenix Suns with 37 points. Hey, man, all I'm saying is I get both sides, but I think LA is looking at this saying, damn, we may have pulled the trigger just a little too quickly. Kevin, the story gives me stress, bro. It stresses me (laughs) out to talk about this because I got to talk about my team, and I hate talking about my team based on the season that they had. It was a failure this year. But when I look back at the whole Brandon Ingram situation, as far as him being traded to New Orleans. You know, it's very tough for me to play prisoner of the moment here just because he's having some relatively good success out in uh, New Orleans. It's it's tough for me. I'm really kind of conflicted on this one. If I just had to say, do they do it? Do they get AD in the process? Yeah, but it comes at the expense of just trading for the here and now instead of focusing on the future. So... The way that I see it is that Brandon Ingram is proving his worth this playoff run. And the Lakers didn't necessarily consider that when they traded for AD because, you know, they were focused on winning a championship with LeBron and AD, and they were focused on the here and now and focused on winning a championship in the immediate term. With Brandon Ingram, had they kept that young core of guys with B.I., Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Kyle Kuzma, I know Kuzma got traded to the Wizards, but had they kept that unit together, I think that the Lakers would have been set up for better long-term success compared to what they did when trading for AD. You know, granted, it did result in winning a championship, but at what cost? Granted, the Lakers may only be viable for four or five years, and you're possibly giving that up for possibly being, being viable for the next 10 to 15 if they were able to retain Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart for at least a significant period of time. The way that I see it is it's tough for me to say that the Lakers made a mistake. They got a championship out of it. But when you really sacrifice for the short term and, you know, the cost of it is the long-term aspect of possibly succeeding with a younger group of guys that could really play good fundamental basketball together, I tend to side on dealing with the long-term more than the short term. So I'm conflicted on this one, you know, because Brandon's really playing well for the Pelicans. And I could see a scenario where, you know, he, he's going to be the focal piece for New Orleans, not just this year, but for years to come. Granted, we'll see how Zion recovers from his foot injury. But overall, you know, Brandon's playing extremely well in this playoff run with the Pelicans so far. I think his game is only going to get better as time goes on. And if you're the Lakers, you're looking at a scenario where LeBron is almost getting into his 40s. AD can't stay healthy whatsoever. And the back end of the roster is a literal dumpster fire. So was it worth it? Yeah, maybe. You got a championship out of it. But the end result is is that essentially the Lakers are left in just utter turmoil because LeBron's going to be out. AD might get traded. And the Lakers are going to have essentially a scrub roster once LeBron either leaves or retires. Was it worth it? I don't know. 
Because the way that I see these young guys playing that the Lakers originally had, you have to kind of think about it. You have to reflect on it. It wouldn't have been as... I imagine there was some hesitancy making that trade. They did it. So championship out of it, but it really kind of depends on how you look at it. So the way that I see it is, I I think by and large, I think they'll have made a mistake looking back on it. That's, you know, that's me looking at hindsight. So what do I know? Hey, I made my points. I, I, it's so weird that we're sitting here looking at this and saying that a championship wasn't worth it. That's how bad the Lakers have been. That's that, like, look at it from a grand perspective. We're sitting here, we're talking about did a trade from three seasons ago end up panning out for the team that hoisted the championship trophy at the end of the year because outside of that one blip, which is what it's starting to look like, this team has sucked bad. Yeah, they're- and Brandon Ingram and, the, and, the, and that cast of players that were sent out with him have only gotten better as time progressed. Can you imagine if Lonzo, Ingram, Braun, and Jordan, Josh, like, you know, Jordan maybe Clark, Josh Hart not being. Jordan Clark. Dude, this, this team, Julius Randle, this team could have honestly been a better team with more cast homegrown players from the draft than AD missing, what, 50 games this year, damn near? LeBron James having to shoulder the load at, night, at, night, at year 19? They wouldn't have even traded for Russell, I think, if they would have all been on that team. But again, you can't play what ifs because the end result, there's a banner in not the Staples Center, whatever the name of the arena is now. The crypto but it'll always arena now. It's still yeah, Staples whatever. As far as it, it's, it's always going to be Staples. There's a 17th banner there, and that carries a lot of weight in the sport. So for the sake of the argument of the banner being up there, I think, I think L.A. still wins this trade because New Orleans hasn't even come close to a championship. They've gotten relatively better as time progressed. Obviously, Zion Williams is there, and obviously C.J. McCollum is now on this team. So we'll see what happens. But um, if Brandon keeps progressing and he starts to become one of those prolific scorers that we know he can elevate himself to be, there was a lot of comparison early on that he could become the next Kevin Durant because of how tall he is, how much he can shoot, how good he is with the ball in his hands. But Obviously, that has kind of dwindled as time progressed because he's not – Kevin Durant in year one and two was averaging damn near 25, 26 points per game, if not more. And he won a scoring title. He's the youngest player in NBA history to win a scoring title. Brandon is nowhere near that, and he's been in the league six years. So that comparison died. But I'm just saying the potential that was there when he was drafted was pretty freaking high. Yeah. It's just – you know, you can always kind of look back and, and see how the scenarios would have played out, but – I mean, there's no guarantee that the Lakers would have kept that entire core of guys. Some of them would have left anyway. They would have gotten no, of course they, not. They would have gotten contracts that would have sent them somewhere else anyway. But you know, you see where these guys are now compared to where they were a couple of years ago when these trades were originally uh, being discussed before they got sent out to their destinations. The one point that I was always kind of like looking back with the whole Brandon Ingram part was. If we would have been able to find a way to keep Brendan Ingram from going to New Orleans in the AD trade, that would have been a game changer. Would have been an absolute. I, I mean, more than likely, you know, the Lakers would probably be in the playoffs right now if that were the case. If the Lakers had been able to retain Brendan Ingram, but you know, the the one thing that you have to always kind of focus on with LeBron led teams is you know the, the team is focused around him. Everything kind of runs through LeBron, and we don't know necessarily 
how things would have played out as far as the chemistry would have went had B.I. stayed with the Lakers. So we don't really know. That's kind of like one of those things where you can always kind of look back is like, what if? Had things worked out in the Lakers' favor a little bit more? It could have been better for them, but we really won't know. But I will say this, you know, when it comes to this playoff series with Brandon Ingram right now, you know, with Zion not being there, CJ McCollum's only been there for a couple of weeks. So you know, Brandon's got to really, you know, carry the weight on his back, and he's doing a pretty good job of it so far, despite the fact that he's dealing with some injuries uh, in this series. But overall, he's proving his worth, and I think that goes without saying at this point. He's doing a great job. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Kev, um, I think that just wraps it about up for us. Uh, we've not done all of our topics. Are uh, you ready to uh, ready to call it quits? Yeah, man. Um, guys, as always, we just really appreciate everything, man. The TikTok is up and running. we got a couple of things posted on there. We're even posting YouTube shorts now, if you haven't already noticed. Um, we got plenty of content coming on the Twitter side. Instagram is going to keep rolling. That one's probably going to be the one that takes the longest to kind of get off the ground. But overall, we're happy with the success and where we are right now. And it wouldn't be anything without you guys coming in and supporting, watching us, tuning in, liking, and whatever it is that you guys do. As always, thank you guys for everything. And, you know, shout out to my partner, as I always do. Um, he's obviously doing a whole other thing now, compartmentalizing all these freaking short things. And I can never say that word for the life of me. Compartmentalize? But- compartmentalized there you go but see i'll forget it within 20 minutes the point is we're, we're we're making the strides to be better i know i talked about a mic about an hour an hour ago wow i'm tripping about a month ago but i sent kyle what i'm looking for just waiting on this next paycheck to kind of clear through i got a big idea coming through with the with the brand new upgrade for the audio platform i might have something coming in potentially fingers crossed thanks to the missus on a, a, a potential camera coming in here every now and again to kind of make the visual presence a little bit better um we're, we're making moves man we're, we're happy we're hyped we love it i mean guys every day we're seeing girls at such an, a high exponential rate that we haven't had in, in so long and uh again i can only speak for myself but kyle i'm hyped bro we're, we're trending yes, in the right direction man yeah sir I, I mean you know the, the point of it now is just just to be able to you know get the content out wherever we can so um the tiktok um the youtube shorts that was overdue um i'm finally glad that you know we're getting around to it. Um, I mean, look, this was our hundredth episode, my guy. So, bro, a hundred episodes. I mean, dude. I mean, now we're in the triple digits. So that's got to count for something. So, granted, there will be plenty more to come out. But uh, no, like, I'm kind of learning the whole TikTok thing on the fly. Granted, I I do not know TikTok. It is not my space. I was a Vine guy. That was just my generation that I came from. But um, give me some time. I'll be able to figure th- this thing out pretty quick. But overall. Um, we're just trying to become more versatile and uh, expand our content reach. And that's, you know, we'll try to do our best in that regard. Overall, uh, it'd be exciting. It'd be very exciting. But um, I think that pretty much wraps it up from here. You know, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. Whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Uh, We will be back uh, later this week potentially with maybe a segment coming out on Friday, maybe on Saturday. And then we'll have another episode for you guys uh, next week. Um, As we kind of, as I mean, at that point, we'll kind of be like towards like the middle, towards the end of these first round playoff series in the NBA. So we're definitely set up for a a pretty good stretch of content within the next couple of days. So stay tuned. You guys, it's going to be fun. Kevin. Hey guys. I'll let you take it from here.
The reason why we're recording early, Mavs games tomorrow night. We normally record Thursday nights, so had to make sure that the schedule was clear. Got to watch my boys. Um, again, grateful for Kyle for being flexible with me. Thankfully, we caught him on a day off, so we were able to get this done even earlier. Yeah, uh, but a- as always, we appreciate it. We can't wait to see you guys again. And just make sure that you know you guys are liking, subscribing, commenting, whatever it is you got to do to make sure that you guys are letting us know you love what we do. But with all that being said, guys, we'll see you guys again soon. And thank you for everything. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.